Well, my friends, it was not my intention to go ahead and do a whole series on Jude, but last week, after we went through the first part of Jude, and we discovered across all three services how many of you were not even aware that it was a book of the Bible, I thought perhaps maybe it would be worth spending a little bit more time on. And because Jude is only one chapter long, this will not take incredibly long. We have last week, we have this week, and we'll finish it up next week. But I want to give you a disclaimer. I feel like uh, when, when we're going to do this passage that it needs to come with a public service announcement. And the public service announcement is this. If you are somebody who comes to church every week uh, for a touchy, feely, warm, and fuzzy experience, this is the wrong Sunday for you. Uh, in case you did not catch that when we were reading the, the scriptures. This is pretty serious stuff. And, and if, you, if you heard the introduction to Jude last week, you'll know that this is a primary issue for Jude. Uh, understanding that there, there is the potential for false teachers amongst us, understanding that God's truth uh, does not come with caveats, that it is the truth, and, and that we need to have a high value on that. So with that in mind, let us pray, and we're going to study the word together. Gracious God, we thank you for this good yet difficult opportunity. We pray that we do something good, although perhaps difficult with it. In your name, amen. So uh, does the truth even really matter anymore? I mean, really, does it, does it matter? That's the question that I, I'd like us to think about today as we continue living in this world of fake news and misleading headlines. Is there really a place for the truth? And, and as the world embraces this astronomic level of political correctness. Do we even care what the truth is anymore? I want you to think about this. <clears throat> when children are playing a basketball game, and I'm, I'm talking about our little ones, and we adults, we tell them, oh, we're, we're not keeping score, guys. It's all for fun. That's probably not true, because you know, and you've seen this, these parents walk off the court yeah, we weren't keeping score, but we, we paid attention. Your team scored 35 points, the other team two. So the kids know this. We're, we're not raising stupid individuals. And then we get to the end of the season, and what happens? Every kid gets a participation trophy. Why is that? Because they're all winners. They're all winners. Is that true? No. No, it's, it's not. But we pretend that it's true just, just so that we make sure that everybody feels good. And when we do that, we've, we've done two things. One, we've cheapened the value of the truth. And we've also set up a false reality that's going to have significant consequences down the road. We know this as we're starting to see this, this generation of kids head out into college and out into the real world, and, and they discover that no, everybody does not get a participation trophy. No, everybody is, is not a winner. In fact, to have winners, you have to have losers, and sometimes you're the loser, and this is just shocking information to them. Now, as a congregation, these last couple of weeks, I, I have shared maybe not so much with this service, but with the other two services, that my friend Ashley is, is dying from colorectal cancer. She is, she is in the 
last days, if not last hours. She is a mother that has two young children. She has a husband. She's a daughter. She is a sister. And two years ago, a doctor sat down with Ashley, and, and he told her the truth about this disease. He even said to her that the prognosis for someone with this type of cancer is two years or less. Can you imagine what it was like for this doctor to have to go into a room and stand face to face with a 35-year-old with two little kids and her husband and say, you've, you've got two years. And, and the thought could have been, well, you know, he, he could have lied. He could have lied to protect her because, you know, that's going to hurt her if she gets that kind of information. That, that's going to devastate her and, and her family. So wouldn't it have just been easier, kinder, gentler to, to just lie so that she wouldn't have to hear something that she didn't want to hear? But instead, what this doctor did was that he, he told her the truth, as, as much of it as he, he knew. None of us is, is perfect. But that offered her the opportunity to, to respond to the truth because she knew what she was dealing with. And, and then what do we do when we have these 24-hour news stations that, that tell the same story in radically different ways, but both of them seem to claim that they are speaking the truth? We're living in tough times when it comes to ferreting out what is true. And Jude had had enough of this. He's had enough of, of these false teachers and, and preachers. And so he's continuing this letter to the church. And, and remember last week, remember last week we talked about how he dropped everything to write this letter. It was so important. And it's still so important to him that he continues to follow up on this because he wants the church to understand that we are living in an age of false teachers. Guess what? We still are. So he's very serious about this. And it's very hard to hear. As, much, as hard as it was for the original hearers to hear, it's going to be just as hard for us to hear this morning because the truth is often uncomfortable and inconvenient. And that's why we don't tell five-year-olds that they lost the soccer game by 15 goals. But here's the thing, as disciples of Christ, as we grow in our spiritual maturity, we're not five years old anymore. And the truth is a matter of maturity. So Jude writes, Now I desire to remind you, though you are fully informed, that the Lord who once for all saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their own position but left the proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in the deepest dark darkness for the judgment of the great day. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which in the same manner as they indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural lust, served as an example for undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Happy Sunday. Now, this writing style that, that you see from Jude, this is very similar to the style that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount. Jude is not introducing new information here. He is simply stating something that has happened in the past, and he is reminding the people that, in theory, these are things that they should already know. 
So he gives them three examples of the Lord's judgment. First up is Israel, who had experienced God's grace when they were delivered from Egypt. They received his revelation at Sinai, his protection out in the wilderness, and still at the end of that, there was a portion of them that did not believe that this was God. And in their unbelief, they rebelled against God. The second example is what we would call the fallen angels, and they're referenced back in Genesis and in Job. These angels, they were in the heavenly realm, and they came to earth, and they mingled with earthly women, um, and that means everything that you think that it means, and they abdicated their responsibilities and authorities in heaven, and as a result, they have been cast into eternal darkness waiting for a final judgment. Then finally, Jude mentions Sodom and Gomorrah, the towns of the plains that were destroyed in response to their sexual immorality. Jude gives these examples to help people understand that, that even if they deny the truth, that there are still consequences for our actions. And he wants to prepare the people for the reality that these kind of temptations and these kind of people who lead us into these temptations are still very active and very present in the world today. He calls them dreamers. Yet in the same way, these dreamers also defile the flesh, reject authority, and slander the glorious ones. A dreamer is a really interesting word for a false teacher, and it's a word that we're going to have to talk a little bit about because in our current political climate, we're not talking about dreamers as we understand them in the United States government. We have a tendency to want to elevate dreamers in our society. You look at people like Walt Disney, right? And, and Walt Disney has these amazing quotes about being a dreamer and dreams are possible. And so we think of dreamers, we think of, of innovators and entrepreneurs and world changers. But for every Walt Disney, you ha also have a whole bunch of snakes and con men trying to sell you a false bill of goods. And this is a particular concern to us when it comes to matters of faith. Because if a celebrity doctor goes on TV and, and recommends that we all take 40 milligrams of ground papaya in order to ward off diabetes, don't do this, I just totally made that fact up. Don't anybody try this, right? But doctor said it, so we all, we're all gonna do it. Best case scenario, it might help. Likely scenario, it does nothing. Worst case scenario, we have wrecked our health on this side of glory. But when leaders of the Christian faith start selling us on this idea that we can compromise on what we believe, that, that God really wasn't serious about his commands, that our faith is, is just, it's just one avenue, not the avenue to our salvation, we're in trouble because these are eternal issues. Jude is, Jude is very, very concerned about these slick salesmen because he understands that what's at stake here is the soul of the church. So Jude says that they should learn from the archangel Michael, who contended with the devil and disputed about the body of Moses. He did not dare to bring a condemnation of slander against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Who knows all about this story? Michael, the archangel, Moses, Anyone? Anyone? I've got, I've got three seminarian graduates in the room, so they should all know what <laughs> this is. But no, I know this. I know, I know that most of us don't ever think about this story. 
Well, oral tradition holds that the devil wanted the rights to Moses' body because, he, uh, because Moses died, and, and he died, and he carried the sin of murder with him. And because the devil considered himself the Lord of the earth, and so he felt that he had the rights to Moses' body. In the book of Daniel, we learn that Michael is this great prince. He is a mighty angel for the people of Israel. But he has fallen. And in spite of his power and his dignity, he dares not bring slanderous accusation against the devil, but he referred the dispute to the sovereignty of God. So what this means is that if this mighty archangel had respect for the celestial powers, Jude is saying, how much more should mere human false teachers have? But these people, says Jude, they slander whatever they do not understand, and they are destroyed by those things. Like irrational animals, they know by instinct. So Jude is saying that these false teachers don't even know what they're talking about. They really have no idea what they're talking about, but they speak from a place of passion. Have you ever gotten into a debate or argument with somebody where you're coming out of fact, they're coming out of emotion, and you cannot seem to get to a place where you can talk to each other because those two things do not intersect well. We're not going fact for fact. You're up against emotion. And when you go up against emotion, you have left the realm of rational at this, this point. And so what Jude is saying here is these people are smart. They're not going for facts. They're going for emotion. They want to tug at the heart strings. And that's what makes them so appealing to the masses, and it makes it so easy for them to get in and to get that platform. They have honed in on what people want to hear, and they can find ways to justify behaviors that people want to have and they want to participate in. It's really interesting. <laughs> in 2016, Barna Research Group was uh, doing some investigation into pornography. And they were studying about pastors who, who view pornography. And the question was, should a pastor who is caught viewing pornography resign from the pulpit? Well, here's the crazy response to this. 41% of lay people said no, they should not, they, they should not respond. Okay, so, so that's, we're getting close to 50-50. But what's crazy is that 8%, 8% of pastors, pastors, people who are in positions of leadership, only 8% of pastors said yes, they should resign. 92% said, ah, it just happens. It's okay. And that, that fact, that should disturb us. That should unsettle us. Because when spiritual leaders start making things that are clearly sin, okay, it's not okay, and it's not good for the health and the life of the church and the people that are a part of it. But there are these false teachers who are manipulators at, at, at words so that they can cast the broadest possible net so that everybody goes away every single Sunday feeling just swell about themselves and not the least bit convicted or inconvenienced. I want you to think about that in terms of what we're currently teaching all kids, that they're all winners. 
And, and what it would have been like if the doctor had told Ashley that everything is all fine, it's all good. That's, that's malpractice. That's malpractice. So woe to them, says Jude, for they go the way of Canaan, they abandon themselves to Balaam's error for the sake of gain, and they perish in Korah's rebellion. Jude is giving three examples here of the type of judgment that's going to be cast on these false teachers. He talks about Cain, who, who practiced a religion of his own works without faith, and that led to the murder of his brother. And like Cain, these false teachers, they manufacture religion that kills the souls of man by error. Jude also likens these false teachers to Balaam, who was the prototype of all the greedy religionists who lead people into a false religion and immorality. And these are individuals who are consumed by their love of money. We have a whole theology on this, a, a prosperity gospel that, that says that, that the more money that you give, if, if you give $19.99 to this ministry on a regular basis, God's going to bless you beyond measure. And people believe it. And they fall for it. That is why we still have television evangelists. And I'm not saying that every television evangelist is a false teacher, but I am saying we got to be really careful, church. Really, really careful. Because when money is the motivator, people will say whatever they need to say so that you will give them your money. And finally, he equates, he equates these false teachers with Korah, one of the 250 who rebelled against Moses' authority which was a divinely appointed authority, and they were ultimately destroyed. These are blemishes on your love feast while they feast with you without fear, feeding themselves, says Jude, which means that these false teachers, they are so arrogant, they're so deceptive, that they would literally come to the Lord's table and not care that they were going against God or misleading God's people. Furthermore, Jude says, they are waterless clouds carried along by the winds, autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, uprooted. Means that, that they're past season. They didn't bloom. They have nothing to show for what they have done. They're useless without the promise of refreshment or performance. They have nothing to offer us as followers of Christ. And just in case, just in case we still don't have a picture of who these false teachers are, Jude goes on to write, wild waves of the sea casting up foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the deepest darkness has been reserved forever. Now, being beach people, we might not likely be troubled by wild waves of the sea, but to the ancient people, they saw the waves of the sea as signs of danger. And Jude is, is saying that out of that danger, all of these false prophets and teachers, all that they produce is that scummy foam that washes up on the shoreline. It was also about these that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, See, the Lord is coming with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on, on all and to convict everyone of all the deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers and malcontents. They indulge in their own lust. They're bombastic in speech, flattering people to their own advantage. Jude's point is that there will be a judgment day for all of those who mislead the people of God. 
So as a pastor, that better weigh heavy on my heart. Because one day I'm going to stand before the Lord and I am going to be accountable for what I have to teach. And if you are an elder, a teacher, a leader in any way in the church, the same is going to be true for you. He concludes by helping us to identify those individuals today. These are people who complain about everything and yet they claim to follow Christ. They indulge in their own lusts meaning that they manage to find a way to do what they want, even if they know what they're doing is a direct contradiction to the scriptures, right? So, so they take the scripture that they want and they reform and they remold it to make whatever behavior it is that they want to have acceptable, so then it's okay and then they're, they're covered by that. And these are people who constantly tout and promote themselves as more than they really are, and they flatter people, using them to get what they want. Now, all of this is to say that there are some really hard passages in Scripture. And, and I really probably could, and most pastors could, go their entire preaching lives and never touch any of them for fear that they're going to upset somebody. That's not faithful. And it's particularly not faithful when we're living in a time when the truth just seems relative. And as long as you're the loudest person in the room, or you repeat it enough times, or you scream it loud enough, then it's perceived to be truth. We need to be just as alert and aware as they were in Jude's time as the, in the early church, to those false teachers who are polished and pretty in their presentation because they can lead us astray. The truth of God's word doesn't change. It's not negotiable. It can't be cherry-picked or sugar-coated. But the truth is this. If we manipulate God's word and we justify it for whatever it is that we want to do, then we no longer stand in the need of grace because we'll have falsely excused ourselves from judgment, which might feel really, really, really good here on earth, but ultimately will destroy us for eternity. That is the God's honest truth. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, there are days when we come to Scripture that we don't, we don't want to hear, we don't want to wrestle with, we don't want to think about, we don't want to be convicted about. Today might be one of those days for some of the folks in this room. And so what I pray, Lord, is that your Holy Spirit will go with each one of us from this place, that there will be conversations over lunch, throughout the afternoon, conversations of, of questions and awareness of what kind of teaching is being poured into our lives, who's doing that teaching what do we need to be aware of to keep our hearts and our minds pure and protected? Lord, be with us. Send your spirit with your people this day. In your name we pray. Amen.